Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, what an honour and a privilege to actually be preaching the Word of God on such a significant Sunday in the life of our church. Uh, Disciple the Nations weekend uh, is one of the most important weekends that we get to share in and celebrate together as a church. And it really is an honour to not only be called to lead Numa Church along with my wife, but to also speak about something that is at the very heartbeat of who we are as a church. Uh, I am just so grateful for such an amazing team and staff that not only undergird the ministry of what we do here at Newman Church, but particularly as it applies to Disciple the Nations, is helping us uh, connect and engage and do mission with our global mission partners all over the world. I particularly want to acknowledge the amazing work of our Disciple the Nations team. Uh, Pastor Rob Morris and Tonya and Andrew and many others who contribute to all that we do really do an amazing job that we simply could not do what we do as a church without their support and involvement and their passion for global mission. I wanna pray with you before we get into the Word today because there are things that I believe that God really wants us to hear and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to really uh, lean in and, and understand and grasp what it is that God has for us. So why don't we pray? Father, I thank You so much that at the epicentre of Your heart is the mission to reconcile a broken world to Yourself. And Father, uh, during this season, where there is lots of pain and there is lots of hurt. God, the mission uh, is, has not been completed. The mission is still what we are called into as Numa Church. And Father, I pray right now, would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? I just uh, pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your heart in a powerful and effective way. And Lord, I really pray that as a church, we, we would continue to run to the front lines of global mission and we would continue to invest time, energy and resource into this critical area of why we exist as a church to advance your kingdom across the nations. And so God, wherever we are right now watching this online, I ask for your grace, your wisdom, but also give us your heart, O oh God, that we would uh, more effectively participate in this call to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Well, I wanna invite you wherever you are to join with me as we read a few verses of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And these words are quite familiar to us as a church and they're also uh, critical to our core mission as believers where Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It was several years ago, 
where I participated in my first mission trip. It in fact was to a first world context, but the situation that I was uh, going to was very much a, a broken and a situation and reflected very much a third world context. My first mission trip was a week at Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I, along with several others from the church that I was leading at that time, we went to uh, the Los Angeles Dream Centre and we helped them and participated with them into a street outreach and a mission trip to the broken, the homeless, uh, the drug dependent, the disadvantaged in Skid Row in Los Angeles. It was an eye-opening experience. And for one week, every day, for several hours of the day, we were feeding homeless people. We were witnessing and praying uh, with people who were very needy, but were searching for answers. We were seeing miracles and signs and wonders breaking out. We were actually providing medical care uh, of a very basic level to those in need. It was during that week that I actually saw for the very first time several people literally die in front of me and uh, the fire department and uh, paramedics coming and checking their bodies throughout the night, discovering that in fact these people had died, be it of a drug overdose or other health issues. And it was such an eye-opening experience, but it marked something within me that actually compelled me from that experience to go and explore what global mission looks like in other contexts. And since that trip, I've been on several mission trips to both second and third world contexts where I've seen firsthand the very real needs that are evident in the world around us. And each of these experiences really have taken me out of my comfort zone. I have identified within myself, maybe like you have at different times when confronted with the call of God to go and do things like this, I've identified real reluctance within my own heart because I, like you, love the comfortable and I love the convenient. And there is something within the brokenness of our humanity and our flesh that tries to get away from anything that would make us uncomfortable. But I've discovered that God's highest priority for my life and for your life isn't our comfort or convenience. It is in fact to reconcile a broken world to Himself. And that requires my participation in it if that dream of God and purpose of God is ever going to become a, a living reality. In Philippians 2.5, there is this powerful verse of Scripture which speaks to the heart of God and what in fact God has done for every single one of us. The Bible says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, I believe that not only this passage, but from Genesis to Revelation, 
we see biblical evidence, historical evidence that God is the greatest missionary that has ever lived. Because even while we were still sinners, the living Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God sent His one and only Son so that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Even while we were dead in our sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for us. And over the last 2000 years, the Kingdom of God really has advanced across the nations because Christians like you and me made Jesus' last command our first priority. And unfortunately, I think there is a trend of a, uh, a downward trend across the globe of Christians and believers actually making disciples of all nations. And one of the reasons for that is, is because some of us wrongly believe that only a select few are called to go and make disciples. But in verse 18 of this passage that I read at the start of this message, Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the Name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us was given to every single one of us. Historically, what has happened in the church is that we've often set the bar so high that we've made it very difficult for the, the, the average believer that attends a church every Sunday to actually engage in the Global Commission. But the Great Commission is a mandate for all. It's not a calling for some. And we have got to guard against retreating to simply being cheerleaders of others who are at the front line, lifting the heavy load and carrying the burdens on behalf of all of us. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a faith that must bleed into every single one of our lives. I love what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse two. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. We're gonna ask ourselves the question, why do we lack labourers when the harvest is so great? Well, I think sometimes we lack labourers because we have different excuses, either spoken or unspoken, that we believe and that we tolerate in our own hearts. I myself have wrestled with these excuses in different seasons of my walk with God. One of those excuses is simply, I don't have what it takes. And I, like you, know that feeling of, of, being in, of feeling inadequate, insufficient to meet the needs, the demands that are all around us. Even in a season uh, like we, what we are facing with this global pandemic of COVID, there is a sense, what is it that I can possibly do to make a difference in the world around me? But I take great heart in knowing that from Genesis to Revelation, God chose people and He called people who not, didn't necessarily have the ability to change in their own strength, but they made themselves available. And because of their availability, God put His Spirit inside of them. He gave them gifts and anointing. He gave them His power. He gave them a heart of compassion to do things that they could not do in their own strength. It's never been about whether or not you are adequate or inadequate, but it's always been about God is adequate. He is sufficient. His grace is sufficient and His strength is always made perfect in our weakness. Not only that, but another excuse that often we can tolerate in our own hearts is evangelism 
That is sharing the good news of the gospel with those around us. Evangelism isn't my spiritual gift. Well, I have wrestled at times with this idea that maybe, you know, I'm not the most gifted evangelist, even though I'm a preacher of the Word and called to pastor and lead God's people in God's house. I sometimes too in the past have wrestled with feeling awkward about sharing my faith. However, often what we do is we confuse a gift with an assignment. Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't an evangelist. He in fact was an apostolic leader, a pastor of a local church, but yet he was still called to the assignment and to the mission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Imagine with, the, with me a, a, dr- a driver of a firefighter truck who turns up to a fire at a structure or a house. And when the captain comes and says, I need you to go and actually grab the hose and start to put out the fire, the driver says, oh no, I simply drive the fire truck. I don't actually put out fires. He would very quickly be reprimanded and would probably, if he didn't comply, lose his job. Why? Because just because he drives the fire truck doesn't mean that he is excluded from the mission of saving lives and making a difference in his community. The same goes for every single follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and you follow Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you too, no matter what role you play in the life of the church or in the Kingdom of God, whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're on staff here at church, whether you're a life group leader, whether you're serving in our kids' ministry, whatever area of the life of the Kingdom of God you serve in, you too have been assigned a great mission. You've been given a great cause and that cause is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Another excuse that often we can tolerate in our own hearts and wrongly believe is this idea that talking about Jesus makes me feel awkward. And I'm so glad that in our church, we've taken great steps over these months of even the COVID restrictions to write material and produce courses that can actually empower every single one of us to share Jesus confidently wherever we are, in whatever context we find ourselves working in. And I would encourage you to actually avail yourself of the courses and materials, contact us on our website or through our church office and we will be able to point you in the right direction of how you can actually share your faith more confidently. I heard of a story many years ago, and I've shared this uh, before, of a man driving a car in LA, and over the horizon after a severe earthquake, he actually saw cars were disappearing off the horizon, and he realised that they were actually driving off a, a bridge that had been damaged in the earthquake, and the drivers and the cars were plummeting into the valley below. And this man got out of his car before he drove off the edge of the bridge and he actually stood in the middle of the road and he looked very silly and he looked very awkward and very stupid, but he started to do all that he could to save people's lives that were heading towards an eventual death. You know, sometimes when we start to share our faith with people around about us, we can feel a little bit awkward and sometimes even a little bit silly when people make fun of us 
or maybe even from an ideological perspective, persecute us. But we know something that they don't know. And that is apart from Christ, they're heading into a Christless eternity separated from the presence of God. And I would rather uh, not have their blood on my hands, but actually have a reason for the hope that I have and be able to uh, share the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And when it comes to disciple the nations, everything we do in our ministry to disciple the nations is aimed at helping more and more people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and discover the truth that many of us here in Melbourne, Australia and at all of our locations actually take for granted that we get to hear every single day and every single weekend. It's so important that we surrender all of our excuses at the foot of the cross and we make Jesus' last command our first priority. Jesus said in verse 18 and 19 of this passage, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So He chooses to direct His authority, transfer His authority to us to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, one of the big questions that many of us ask ourselves is what is God's will for my life? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. I certainly have. And to be honest with you, I wrestled with that question for many years in my adolescent years. And I was chopping and changing from one career idea to the next. And this is not uncommon for uh, adolescents and teenagers to wrestle with. But often people who are mature adults are still wrestling with that question. What is God's will for my life? Well, I wanna encourage you today to come back to this passage of Scripture, to the Word of God. Because some of us are waiting for a voice from heaven when God has already given to us a verse in His Word. The Great Commission is not the great optional extra for just a few people who get really passionate and excited about global mission. It is our great privilege as believers to spend our lives making Jesus' last command our first priority. And I've discovered that as you begin to align your life with this verse, to go and make disciples, the specifics of God's will for your life takes care of itself. And before you know it, God begins to align your life and position you where He wants you to be so that you can specifically and more effectively make a difference in the world. But it begins as a believer by embracing the fullness of the Great Commission that God has called every single one of us to. You know, when I was growing up as a teenager, I would be quite reluctant to answer God's call either to the Great Commission or to full-time ministry in other capacities because I was concerned that maybe I couldn't actually trust God with my dream. But I woke up one day and discovered that's the wrong question. The question isn't, can I trust or can you trust God with your dream? The question is that God has a dream and can He trust you and me with His dream? You see, God's dream is bigger than your dream. And you may be hearing this or watching me preach right now and say, well, I've got a massive dream. How can God's dream be bigger than my dream? Well, the Bible is filled with evidence of God's dream. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says, The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Psalm 2.8, God says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
In Matthew 6.10, Jesus exhorted us to pray, God's dream, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelation 7.9, at the end of the age, when we're all gathered together in heaven, this is a vision, a heavenly picture of God's dream realised as the prophet declares, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one else could number from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. You see, one of the greatest obstacles to us making God's dream a reality in the immediate future is we become busy with activity that adds little kingdom productivity. Let me say that again. One of the greatest obstacles to us actually fulfilling the Great Commission, to discipling the nations, to making Jesus' last command our first priority is we become distracted. We get busy with religious activity that doesn't necessarily add a whole lot of kingdom productivity. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus brought the right priority into the right focus. He said, seek first in order of priority and in order of importance, the Kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. I love our mission statement here at our church. It, it provokes passion within me. It compels me to get up every day and make a difference and do something with my life. Our mission statement simply reads that we exist to advance God's kingdom across the nations. And if that mission is gonna become a reality for us as a church, Numa Church, we have got to guard our hearts against spiritual myopia. What is myopia? It is short-sightedness. Often what can happen in a very comfortable Western context is that we develop spiritual myopia. We begin to confuse our homes as castles. We begin to confuse the empires of our work. We begin to confuse the bubble in which we find ourselves living in as the total expression of the Kingdom of God on planet Earth. And there are classic iconic Australian movies like The Castle that reinforces the great Australian dream of a man and a woman and a family having a home, their house, their castle, a great car, a great job. And basically, whilst there's lots of comedy in aspects of that movie, the movie was sending a message that a house, a car and a job is simply the beginning and end of the meaning of life. Well, I personally encourage everyone to participate in house ownership, but here's the truth. We could buy the house and the car and yet miss the point of the Great Commission. Jesus said in Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You could buy the house and the car all power to you. And I encourage you to do all that you can to, to look after your family and provide all the necessary uh, things that your family needs. But you could do all of those things and yet totally miss the reality of the Kingdom of God in your life. We could get so insulated in the bubbles of our everyday life that we actually miss the bigger vision of what God is doing around the world. 
Can I encourage you to ask God to give you a vision that's bigger than your own backyard? Lest we become successful at things that whilst temporarily are important, from an eternal perspective, are not that significant. What is the answer for us as believers here at Newman Church? We have got to invest ourselves, invest time, energy and financial resource into making disciples of all nations because Jesus has called us. He said, go and make, not stay and wait for everyone to come to us, but to go into all the world, making disciples of all nations. Now, there are three simple metaphors of a church that really helped me in understanding what type of church not only we could be or or what type of church we are, but more importantly, what type of church God wants us to be. The first picture of a church that we could be is that of a cruise liner. A cruise liner provides luxuries for the entire family. And there are some particular cruises that we've heard about over the last several months that you probably wouldn't want to be on because of various challenges on those cruise liners. But the same thing can sort of happen in in the life of a church across the body of Christ where the church becomes almost like this cruise liner where we provide Christian luxuries for the family. And when there are issues that emerge because we can't go anywhere, often those issues become like a, a spiritual contagion that break out across the cruise liner of the church and infect our hearts and actually aren't helpful at all. The second picture of a church is of the battleship. This is where the church understands that there is a mission, there is an assignment, but they don't necessarily wanna do all the hard work. So they pay the pastor and the staff to fight all the spiritual battles for them. And what it really does, it separates this idea between the clergy or the professional ministries and the laity, those who are a part of the general congregation. And it takes away the responsibility that we as believers have, all of us, to actually be a part of the solution and the answer of the Great Commission. The third picture or metaphor of a church is that of an aircraft carrier. And it's a picture that I believe that is most relevant to us at Numa Church. It's where every single believer is equipped to fight a spiritual battle at the front lines of life. You know, when I was in San Diego with my family years ago having a holiday, we went on a tour of an aircraft carrier called the USS Midway. It was huge, it was magnificent, but every single aspect of that aircraft carrier was designed to uh, supply and equip fighter jets to go to the front line of battle wherever they are called. That's a great picture of what God has called us as a church to. In Ephesians 4.11, it says that when Christ ascended, His gifts descended and that He called the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And for over 95 years, Numa Church has been an equipping centre that has sent believers out all across the world to nations like Africa and China and India and Fiji, Europe, Papua New Guinea and Japan and many others in years to come to go and fight spiritual battles at the front line. 
In fact, many years ago in Papua New Guinea, there were two dozen schools that were established and over a a thousand pastors trained because of the global mission work that was happening in this church. C.L. Greenwood, one of the great founders of this house, actually had a mantra that stands to this day, pray, give, send. We've simply just changed the last bit to pray, give and go. And so now the baton has been handed to you and I. God is still calling us to go and disciple the nations. Can I encourage you more than ever before? Can we commit ourselves to pray? Pray for labourers and pray for our global mission partners. Can I encourage you to give sacrificially and generously into our Disciple the Nations offering, which you are gonna be given an opportunity to do in just a moment. Not only that, but can I encourage you in 2021 and beyond, let's go on mission trips to take the Gospel to the front lines of what people are facing in both second and third world contexts. Our focus for Disciple the Nations remains the same. We're all about planting churches, developing leaders, transforming communities and providing aid to the humanitarian issues that we are faced with as a global community. We have existing mission partnerships in Uganda and Kenya and India, Thailand and Iraq. And all of us are called to play our part and play our role. We all can pray, we all can give something And some of us, I'd encourage most of us to at one time in our Christian life to go on a mission trip and make a sizable impact in a land far away from our own. You see, the Kingdom of God has advanced for the last 2,000 years, not through good intentions, but through living sacrifices. And it's so important that we understand that if we're gonna continue to advance the Kingdom of God, it will take nothing less. I ask you to prayerfully, generously and sacrificially give to our Disciple the Nations offering for the coming months. Let's work together, let's pray together, let's give together and let's go together to advance God's Kingdom across the nations. And as we do, there'll be many, many people in heaven in years to come that will come up to us and say, I am here, my life was transformed because of what you prayed, what you gave and what you did to make me a disciple of Jesus Christ. I wanna pray for you right where we're at. My prayer is that as we pray together, God would speak to you about a role, an activity, something, an amount of money that God would put upon your heart to give into this Disciple the Nations offering. Our global mission partners are fighting a significant spiritual battle and sometimes literal physical battle as they uh, are challenged with the different cultures and ideologies and needs that are at the front line of their ministries. There are things that we can do as a church that other believers and other Christians may struggle to do, but because of the privileged heritage and position that we find ourselves in, we can make a difference. And I know that as we pray together, as we give together and as we go, God's gonna do amazing things through us. So why don't we close our eyes, open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit and let's pray together right now. Father, I thank You so much that God, You are the original missionary that You sent Your one and only Son to live, to die and to rise again so that we could be reconciled and restored back into right relationship with You. 
that we are where we are because somebody preached the Gospel, somebody gave generously, somebody laid their lives down and prayed a prayer sacrificially so that we could hear, that we could encounter, that we could experience the goodness of Your grace in our own lives. And Lord, right now, there are people all across the earth, Oh God, that are lost and that are broken, that are in need and we have the solution. We have something to offer them. And Father, I'm praying right now that You would give us the grace, the strength, the courage to get over ourselves, over our excuses and do something with what You have put in our hands. However small or however big, God, You've called us to go and make disciples of all nations and God, we will be faithful to this as long as we have breath in our lungs, oh God, we will do what it is You've called us to do. I'm praying, oh God, that Lord, there would be a tsunami of financial response to this offering. I'm praying, oh God, that there would be a great tidal wave of prayer. I'm praying, Father, that there would be more people signing up to go on mission trips than ever before in the coming years. And that Lord, all across the earth, we would see Your Kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, would You move us out of our comfort zone and inconvenience, Oh God, into a place of being a living sacrifice for the sake of others. We love You, we honour You, and we thank You that You first loved us. Now, God, we go and do what You have called us to do because You've called us to love others. And Father, I just pray right now that God, over these days where so many of us feel trapped by our circumstances, inadequate, insufficient to meet even the practical challenges that our own City of Melbourne and State of Victoria is facing. Father, I pray right now, whether we are watching this online in the State of Victoria or we're watching this in another city or town across the world, Father, I pray that You would help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and to simply be obedient with what it is that You've put in our hands. Like that little boy with the loaves and fishes to lay it at Your feet and say, God, I can't do much with this, but I know that You can multiply these loaves and fishes to make a difference in people's lives. Come and feed the multitudes, God, spiritually, practically, through the simple offering of our lives. This is our prayer. This is our desire. This is our cry today. In Jesus' Name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.